welcome to the Plebeian Power Hour with your hosts, Tipper and Kim. And today we're going to be talking about the Vietnam War. Now, I'm kind of excited about this, even though I don't think the word is excited. I This was a really interesting topic because I know people who fought in the Vietnam War. So I was really interested to learn more about it. And when I was researching, I found that Vietnam was a French colony, which I had not known. And it was called Indochina, and it became a French colony in 1859. And um, it was a French colony for 100 years, okay? By the time we're finished with this, it's over 100 years that they're a French colony. But I thought some interesting information, because this is part of the Cold War, is that Russia became communist in 1917. Okay, this will factor in as time as time yeah. goes on. Um, China became communist in 1921. So then, here we come to 1930, and the Indo-Chinese Communist Party is formed with Ho Chi Minh as the founder. I do want to make a quick clarification. Do. China did not become communist in 1921. China had its first large-scale communist, communist party. party. Yes. You're right. Thank you. Um, and I also am embarrassed to say I didn't even know Vietnam is still a communist country. <laughs> I, I actually know. don't think they are a communist country anymore. It says that they still are. Well, I think they're communist in a way like China. Like China's is communist. communist. They're not really communist. Is anyone still really communist? North Vietnam or North Korea. North sorry. Korea is because it says here Cuba. Cuba well, is as well, I believe. Do they function in the same communist way? Um. Or I actually don't know like enough China. about. I, I my understanding is that they consider themselves communist. Mm-hmm. Uh, North Korea uh, has one guy who considers everybody communist, and <laughs> yes. as far as I know, who those, forces everybody yeah. to be communist. <laughs> yep. Go ahead and try and say you're not communist. Go ahead. I That's dare you. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, and it picks up. You know, in World War Two, that's where I started my research. So in World War II, it was owned by the French, but the Japanese invaded. The French were weakened because Germany uh, essentially took over France. You know, mm-hmm. Germany wiped France out, so France can't resupply. So Japan comes in, and, and you know, it wasn't just Vietnam. Japan took over most of Asia during World War II. Yeah. But they took over uh, Vietnam, and during that time as well, like Ho Chi Minh's building up his, uh, I don't know, coalition. So so he's getting pretty powerful around this time. And he kind of uh, ends up, I don't know, taking control of, of the North Vietnam after World War II. So what happens in World War II is Japan goes in. Uh, as World War II starts coming to the end, they have the Potsdam Conference, which we talked about during the Cold mm-hmm. War. And they also... Did some stuff, you know, in, in Vietnam. They said, "All right, you know, we're, we're going to have the Chinese come in to North Vietnam, and we'll have oh, who was it? I got to go look at my notes because I forgot. Um, but but the Allies were going to. I think it was British Indian forces were going to go to South uh, Vietnam oh. and accept the surrender of the Japanese. And it, it's so unfortunate because, like, this is 1945. 1945 is like a terrible year." Vietnam because they have a famine 
when the Chinese come in, the Chinese essentially just loot Vietnam. I'm going to stop you for a second okay. and go back just a bit and talk about 1941, because this is when Ho Chi Minh establishes the Viet Minh, which is his official Communist Party. But this is the point where they start using guerrilla war tactics, which plays into the future, because by the time America joins Vietnam, these people have been practicing guerrilla war tactics for 20 years. Yeah. So now we'll go back <laughs> to 1945. Yeah, so after, uh, you know, 1945, the, um, they have the, the Potsdam, you know, conference. Mm -hmm. Well, Ho Chi Minh essentially declares independence on, like... Did you know that the U.S. gave weapons to Ho Chi Minh to fight the Japanese? I'm, so one I'm of not the surprised reasons, at all. Yeah, one of the reasons that they had weapons during the rest of the conflict is because the United States gave them weapons to fight off Japan. Well, they also got a bunch from uh, China. A lot of the China ones were U.S. For weapons. the communist side? Yeah, so China was also oh, U.S. No. supplying China oh, no. during World War II oh. to, to fight Japan. And, and, this and they always were happens. This always happens. China was U.S.'s ally until it became communist. Until their communist and party so went crazy. the U.S. was Big. supplying them. But, but anyway, Ho Chi Minh declares the North... Vietnam independent uh -huh. in 1945, and what I thought was interesting is he uses the U.S. Declaration of Independence, and he kind of just copies oh, that. Oh, no. And he's like, all men are created, <laughs> like literally, it's a verbatim copy, of, wow. and, and he kind of sends it out, and he's expecting U.S. support, you know. Well, that's because he had talked to Franklin Delano Roosevelt about it. And, and FDR. And FDR died. FDR was a big, he wanted Indochina to be independent. Yep. So, but FDR died, and Harry Truman got into office, and Harry Truman had no idea what they were talking about, and so. Well, he's also starting to deal with other things, you know, because we you got the Cold War starting to pop yes. up, and and here you have this communist party that's looking to the U.S. for help. So yeah. Ho Chi Minh sends letters to Truman, saying, yeah. "Hey, help us out here. You know, we're we're this new country. You guys say you like these independent countries. Mm -hmm. Help us out and." Truman ignores him. Well, that's because France sent a letter to the United States and said, if you help them, if you give them assistance in becoming independent because they still wanted them yeah. to be a colony, they said, we will go to war with you. So here's America coming out of a gigantic war, doesn't want another war, doesn't help Vietnam. Yeah, so that was, you know, North Vietnam is looking to the U.S. for help, which I always thought was interesting because you kind of have this, you know, once you get into the Cold War, like, you know yeah. the U.S. doesn't care for communist countries. But this is mm -hmm. actually kind of before the Cold War's getting rolling. Yeah, this is at the very beginning. Yeah, this is at the beginning, and, you know, Ho Chi Minh doesn't know that. He's and right now, to... we're still friends as the United States with the Soviet Union at this point. So, yeah. and the Soviet Union is communist at this point. So, it's not as divisive. But in 1946, the first Indochina War begins, and this is when uh, the Viet Minh fight against the French colonialist rule. And over the course of the war, they start the guerrilla war tactics even harder than they were doing before, and they become well-organized 
in their tactics. Yeah, one thing, too, that I wanted to bring up is in, in 46, there was an agreement between Ho Chi Minh, the North Vietnam, and France that North Vietnam would be recognized as its own uh, Republic Democratic of Vietnam Republic. as a free state. That's in the, the agreement. The French government recognizes the Republic of Vietnam as a free state, but then it says, you know, forming part of the Indo-Chinese Federation and French Union. So the France is still trying to be like, yeah, you're free, yeah, but you're, you're part of us. Umbrella. Uh, but, <laughs> you're under our umbrella. But South Vietnam was not uh, free. free. Mm -hmm. And that's what they were fighting for, is they were fighting you know, over essentially South Vietnam. So France is like, okay, North Vietnam, you're free, but the South, we own. And Ho Chi Minh is like, no, you don't. You know, like, nope. And so they go in and, you know, they're fighting for, for years over South Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And China starts to side with the Viet Minh. Yeah, so they at this point, military China advisors. is communist. Mm -hmm. Oh, by 1950? Yeah. And they send weapons, and the United States then sends $15 million in military aid to France in 1950. So it's funny. I can't stop thinking about 1984 the book oh yeah because he's like who are we friends like who are we against now because just a few years ago france is like we will come and we will kill you if you help these people which honestly help we us. could have taken france you know like france oh, yeah. got demolished during the war we could you know we say that but uh, we also thought we could take vietnam pretty easy as well so well in 1953 france had lost over 100,000 troops. So they're, by 1953, they don't want to fight anymore. But there was still a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, and so in 1954, things kind of come to an end. The, the mm -hmm. Viet Minh surround, like uh, the, the French in, I don't, I'm not even going to try it. Dien Bien Phu. And so there's 8,000. This French was a troops. crazy story. Oh, it, I, I feel bad because this is one of those this ones at the sad. end, like the, there's one of those death march sort of things that you hear about. So the French surrender and they had like 8,000 troops surrender and half of them died being marched, you know, 600 miles through the jungle. And it was, so what happened is France was very optimistic that they were going to win because... They had better technology yeah. and other things, which is something that also plays future. And they're in this open space surrounded by mountains. But what they don't realize is that they are also surrounded by thousands of Vietnamese. And so they are just taking them from the mountains, which is why they have to surrender, because they're just surrounded in the middle of this yeah. open field area so they had to give in and it was it's actually kind of a intense yeah and situation. there's no chance that there's a rescue like there's no 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 one can nobody's come in. coming in to save them so so after a hundred years under colonial rule the french leave yeah so they have a geneva conference yep and they bring a bunch of people to the table you know they bring you know south vietnam north vietnam uh, the U.S., USSR, there's some other people that are there, and they start hashing it out. All right, here's, you know, here's 17th what... parallel, north-south. Yep, and they come up with a rule. And what's weird is the, the U.S. didn't want to accept this. South Vietnam didn't want to accept this. And North Vietnam felt like they got uh, the raw end of the deal. 
they felt like the the Chinese who were negotiating for them gave in, so and that they should have got everything. But yes, it, what's weird? The, what they do they is they decide that. here's what's going to happen in two years. In 1956, we're going to have uh, an, election. an election from mm-hmm. both you know north and south, and you'll vote and decide. Nor, you know, you're, you're going to be one country in 1956, and you will decide by that vote who you know, what leader to follow or what sort of government you're going to have. However, in 1955, (laughs) (laughs) South Vietnam declares itself the Republic of Vietnam has its own capital of of Saigon. um, And, oh, God, I don't know how to say this. No Diem is elected as president in a rigged election. Yeah, and he is one of those... He, he reminds me, you know, we talked about Cuba, and they had, I think it was Batista or whatever, mm-hmm. and, and he was this corrupt. Yeah. That's what DM was to a lot of people, is they felt like he was this uh, kind of corrupt, not From necessarily dictator, but, uh, but essentially he would favor certain groups over other groups. And, and this is critical when we go to farther down the story to know that, He had a terrible attitude, terrible reputation, and one of the, he was, what is he, Roman Catholic? So he was Catholic, and I don't know what variation or whatever, but. And he just absolutely disliked any of the the monks that were in the area, which caused a lot of protests, graphic in nature. (laughs) Yeah, there's, there's a very famous picture and a very famous event that happens that kind of triggers uh, I, I guess, more issues later. Right. So we don't want to talk about it because it's sad, but what happened is there was a monk who had his monk brothers pour gasoline on him and light him on fire, and he sat there. And his face is a little grimacy, but other than that, he's just sitting there, and he does die, and other monks follow that lead, and Instead of Diem pulling back, he got more intense and ended up putting the country under martial law. Yeah, and, and there were, um, I don't know, thousands of people kind of killed in the same way. Uh, of You basically just say, oh, this guy's you know a traitor or whatever, and you kind of clean house. And, and Diem did that, and he killed uh, thousands of opposition. Uh, during that time. And this is interesting because DM is the government and then you have the communist party people who are still there who are and, salt and, and peppered mind, throughout the entire south. The, the same thing is happening in the north. The north is doing its cultural revolution and thousands of opposition are being killed up there. Yes. And so the, the same thing is happening. North and south are both kind of establishing the governments are trying to establish themselves as the dominant government and getting rid of any opposition. Mm-hmm. That's happening. You know, Ho Chi Minh's doing that in the South. DM's, or sorry, in the, the North. North. DM's doing it in the South. But I think, like you were saying, the, the North had kind of a strong Southern support. Yes. The Viet Cong is what they ended up being called, mm-hmm. which I think just meant like communist Vietnamese or something like yeah. that. So, so in 1956, U.S starts training South Vietnamese forces. And I this is at the same time that the Cold War is happening over at the Suez Canal. So 
when you have Egypt versus Israel, France, and Great Britain at the Suez Canal, and also the Hungarian Revolution. Yeah. We also have the South, like Vietnam is in turmoil, and U.S. sends their forces there. That might be one of many reasons they weren't really involved that much in the Suez Canal issue. So... Yeah, and another thing that kind of happened too, we were talking about this, um, Diem being Catholic, is mm -hmm. he tells all the North Vietnamese Catholics, hey, come down to the South. And like 900,000 wow. people from the, the North migrate to the South. Ho Chi Minh kind of does the same thing, but one of the things that Ho Chi Minh does is he some of the people that came, he kind of sends them back as Viet Cong. So... Oh. They recruited a bunch, and then he said, no, go back down there and, and pretend, you know, like you're South Vietnamese. And I think there were like 10,000 of them that he wow. did that with. But It was, the numbers are, are kind of staggering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. on, on lots of different aspects. Like the, This is a long conflict when you start looking at it. And yeah, because we're already 10 years in to and this I, thing. I didn't gather some of the numbers, but uh, like the amount of like Vietnamese people who died across this, like it, it they're it's not the that populous as a, of a country. Like mm -hmm. this is not, you know, the U.S. with 300 million people that lost, you know, this is a country of like 10, 12 million people that yeah. loses millions of people, you know, over, you know, this is like a 20-year conflict, but um, it, things start getting pretty bad to the point where Ho Chi Minh kind of declares war in 1959. So the elections don't happen. Things, you know, they're, they're having kind of their own, you know, fights going on. Well, Ho Chi Minh just out declares we're fighting well, the South. And the U.S. had already sent troops over to be um, advisors. Advisors. And so it. I wonder if it seemed a little aggressive. Yeah. It, it's mm -hmm. really hard to know what the motivation is because one of the things that you know, people on the, we'll say that the U.S. side or whatever, well, that they say is that the, the communists have an ideology that they just want to take over everything anyway. Yeah. So you, you don't know whether or not something provoked it or if this is just as part of our ideology. We have to go save the world, so we have, yeah. you know, we, ha we have to expand. I know a little bit about this in the future, but keep going. So... Yeah, Ho Chi Minh kind of declares, you know, a, a war to unite Vietnam under his leadership. And this is where the the second, you know, Indochina War starts. Yes. And it merges into what we call the Vietnam War. Right, so which it, is funny. When you look up the dates of the Vietnam War, it usually gives the U.S. dates, probably because we're looking up in U.S. So yep. it was yeah, which, a lot different. At the time, so Depending remember, the U.S. is essentially aiding South Vietnam, and this continues yes. during the war. But the U.S. is not really officially involved in the war as anything but advisors. Right. So initially, you know, they, they send a few hundred people uh, initially, and I think by like 1962, 63 or something, that merges into like 16,000. Yeah. But supposedly all these people are still just, they're, they're not combat fighters, they're training Right, because JFK logistics. is president at this yeah. time, and he doesn't want to have a land war. So he doesn't send anybody to actually be fighters, but maybe sometimes I'm sure 
just instructors or strategists, maybe even peacekeepers, but not boots on the ground, actual fighting individuals. Yeah. And if you look at, like, the, there's some, you know, the government puts out statistics of, like, deaths in Vietnam, and uh-huh. you can kind of see the, the U.S. did have some deaths prior to their main involvement. It's true. And, <laughs> and, and so you know that there may have been, I mean, there were definitely there casualties, but they may have been involved, you know, they may have been where fighting was happening. But it, Although a couple of them, I think, were just kind of, not necessarily assassinated, but were kind of killed in the streets. Right. They have a differentiation in the statistics as if it was... Um, like a military Military, or they call it hostile. Uh, hostile or non-hostile. Sense. I didn't mark the numbers, but I did see that because you could also see, like, there was accidents and other yeah. things that... Quite a few deaths were attributed to. Between 
no, it, it keeps happening. And nothing ever makes anything ever better. Like, that's three years or two, two and a half, where there's eight different governments. I mean, what kind of chaos that must have been. Yeah. And there was kind of an expectation that with a new government, things would get better. Right, of course. It, and then it didn't. The other thing that happened in 63, of course, JFK gets assassinated, so yep. LBJ becomes president. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happens in 63. Well, there's a new election in 64, and LBJ's running for election. And one of the things that he runs on is, we're not, we're not going over to Vietnam. I, his quote is something along the lines of, you know, we're not about to send American boys nine or 10,000 miles away from home to do what Asian boys ought to be doing for themselves. That's, <laughs> that's what he says when he's running you know, for president. That and, wasn't what he actually thought. And he wins, <laughs> right. You don't really know, you know, because you start to get the feeling that, you know, that's just something you say to become president, and his, his actions didn't necessarily match up with what he was right. saying. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things is that they were expecting that with the new government things would get better, and then it didn't. Okay. So then the U.S., there, there's an incident that happens. The Gulf of Tonkin August 2nd. incident, and that's August second, nineteen sixty-four. And the the story is, the U.S. has some destroyers that are out there providing support, and one of them is involved in electronic eavesdropping with a mission with the South. So the South are uh, making a move against the North, and that destroyer is there to help the South get intelligence. USS Maddox. And what ends up happening is. These three North Vietnamese boats kind of approach the destroyer, and the official story <laughs> is that the U.S. Uh, felt like they were gonna about to be attacked, so they fired a couple warning shots, and then they were attacked. Attacked by those? They, they were, were fired torpedoes. They were, upon. Yeah, torpedo boats, and they were this destroyer. And what I wish I knew, I I, I really wish I. Knew, would have looked this up because I don't know what a North Vietnam you know torpedo boat looks like. They in, do have pictures of them, and I wish I and they're not looked. incredibly large. Like the Maddox is far larger. Yeah, but it was. I wish it's so hard to live in an age where you have so much access to video and yeah. to reports and and eyewitness accounts to just be like, what really happened? And then, yeah, you're like, why don't, don't they have really some videos know. of this? When we were I know. <laughs> So there's not a lot of information on this in a way that you can tell whether or not this was set up. Yeah. Because, and and we'll get into this later. So there, there's a, a second supposed incident. So that one was yes. on August 2nd. Because LBJ says, we're not going to go to war with one aggression, but if there were two, then we would go to war. Oh, well, coincidentally... I know. What? A On second destroyer says that it's under attack. Mm-hmm. Turns out there's no record of No, they've admitted that there any is no record. At all. They, they have admitted. <laughs> yes. I mean, they didn't initially. No, not, initially. not for decades. And one of the things, I saw a quote, and I'm trying to remember who it was from. I think it might have been um, the captain of the destroyer, and he was saying... There was bad weather. Our radar equipment said there were torpedoes coming. Oh, we no. said so. That's why we said we were under attack. Is and, and he says, you know, this is his quote was freak weather effects on radar and over eager 
sonars. Yes, is and he I have it. to tell you, there's been a lot of weather issues that happen with the military. Yeah. So it, what the problem is is that things can happen. Number one, it's you true. know, he says overeager sonarsmen. It's hard to put yourself in a place. You know, let's say that you're out on a destroyer and you know that two days earlier this other destroyer had been attacked, and then all of a sudden you see a blip on your radar. What are you going to think? Mm-hmm. I, it's a plausible story, but realistically, everybody kind of comes to the conclusion that this is not. This is just an excuse. This is mm-hmm. something that we can use to go into the war. So this Gulf of Tonkin incident happens, and then a couple days later... On August 7th. So the second incident was on August 4th. And by August 7th, Congress has passed the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, which authorizes Lyndon B. Johnson to take, and I quote, all necessary measures to repel any armed attack against forces of the United States and to prevent further aggression. Yep, and so that basically is the, the go-ahead and the green light. And what's interesting, it, it, it makes sense because it takes a long time to do things, but it's not until March of 65. So that's August yeah. of 64. In March of 65, the U.S. campaign gets going. For yes, real. where they send 3,500 combat troops into Vietnam. So ones that are, there's already 25,000 troops in Vietnam. But these 3,500 are specifically for fighting. Yeah, they're the first combat troops. And so this is March. By the end of the year, there's 200,000 U.S. troops stationed there. And (laughs) prior to the troops getting there, the planes show up, and they begin what's called Operation Rolling Thunder. Mm, This happened March 2nd, 1965, and they start bombing. Because what they have terrain-wise, is tons of hills and mountains covered in rainforest and thick jungle. And, and that's on part of it. So one jungle. of the areas in the south, too, the, they have the, the, the Mekong Coast. Delta mm-hmm. is just, it, it's, a, it's a delta. It's a river delta that's mostly, like, flooded and jungly and mm-hmm. I, I assume, you know, maybe similar to, like, Marshy. the Florida Keys mm-hmm. sort of thing. This is not, which kind of dictates some of the fighting. So the U.S. has tons of tanks, and tanks are over there, but tanks don't play a part in in Vietnam, Mm -hmm. really. It's also hard to have a foot battle, because it's hard to go anywhere. They said that you'd you'd take an hour to go 100 feet, because it's so thick and so mucky and so gross that you couldn't go anywhere. So with the bombing, they did, like, napalm which I have to tell you, I, I am in constant awe at what weapons do, and even the most basic of weapons. But when you watch them drop the napalm, and you're like, whoa. Like, it just, so what happens is they go along an area, and then they drop like a series of napalm, and then it explodes, and then it keeps exploding. And it's just this huge inferno for maybe 50 yards. And I, I find it so terrifying. It, it's, it's fascinating, too, because it plays a couple roles. One of the things that's hard for me to fathom is that, and I don't know the timeline on this, but throughout the Vietnam War, at least at the end, the, the North Vietnamese had dug 10,000 miles of oh, tunnels. Yeah. tunnels. Tunnels. Not just ditches. 
under the tunnels. ground. Like, yeah, this isn't ditches. So ditches no. have always been, these are tunnels, and they would be able to hide under there. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that the napalm would do is it would basically suck the oxygen out of the tunnels. And they had, like, it, little flaps that they could, like, stick their heads out of. I think they could fit in them because they're small. Yeah. And they could pop out and attack. It was, it, but they also had something called Agent Orange. Yeah. Which. So Agent Orange <laughs> agent. is a fairly common word, or at least it was, you know, we were taught about it in school. And what it is, is it's a, essentially an herbicide. It's This is a jungly area, and all it's meant to do is essentially take the foliage down just to kill all the plants. Mm-hmm. And so they drop this Agent Orange, and it's not the only one. They have Agent Blue. They have Agent Orange, I think, was just the most toxic. Like, it, it was definitely toxic, and I have a fascinating side story where I lived by a guy who had one leg. And one day we were talking to him, and it turns out he was in the military, and his job was to load Agent Orange onto the trucks or the planes or whatever it was he loaded it on, and he would bump up the barrel with his knee. Oh, really? And because he did that, he got cancer in his leg and had to have his leg amputated. And just and from effects, bumping it up. Th- there were tons of U.S. veterans who complained of having effects similar, you know, mm-hmm. to that. That's but nasty the effect stuff. on the Vietnamese, there were, and, and and it's really hard to confirm any of these numbers. These are the numbers that people kind of throw out. There were a million birth defects. Oh, I'm sure. From this. And, and when you're talking about a country that's, you know, at the time, 12 million people, a million birth defects is an insane number. Yeah, it's huge. And, and so this was just one of those things that, you know, looking back, you definitely think, yeah, that, you know, shouldn't have done that. That was kind of a terrible thing, but they were doing it because they, they couldn't didn't know how to a, fight yeah, them. Yeah, like they're they're in these jungles. Terrain. They can't go after them. Mm-hmm. And so because they were so experienced in guerrilla warfare and knew how to hide and had those tunnels, and, and they had the Ho Chi Minh Trail, which mm-hmm. they've been building for years, which goes through and it goes through Laos and, uh, and Cambodia, Cambodia. And this was which they also drop. You know, they attacked the Ho Chi Minh Trail, but so I was looking into Laos and Cambodia and thought, why in the world are they allowing this trail to go through both of their countries. And it turns out that Laos and Cambodia are having a similar situation with communism going against the government in both of their countries. So they both have large communist parties that are letting this be possible. Yeah, and and according to the Geneva Convention of 1954, there's not supposed to be any... They're supposed to leave Laos and Cambodia alone, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't really happen because the the North is using that to supply their troops, and the South and the U.S. said, you know, that's not, you know, if you're going to fight there, we're going to fight there. So mm-hmm. there is fighting that happens, and for the most part, it's uh, the U.S. really does try and keep it to the, like, the Ho Chi Minh, you know, trail area. Right. Uh, but I do know in Cambodia, the government was like, okay. Because because they were fighting against the yeah. communists, and this was the communists, and so they're just like, that. they weren't really all that mad about it. Yeah, in fact, later they, they give full permission. So they yes. have uh, their own kind of change of government. I don't know if it was a coup, but the government changes, and the new guy says, hey, we're going to 
to start fighting and we want you to help us. And they give mm -hmm. the U.S. permission to come into Cambodia. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the map, just to kind of describe, Vietnam is kind of a long country that borders the ocean. Mm -hmm. uh, Laos is borders Vietnam on the north mm -hmm. part of the country and Cambodia borders Vietnam on the south mm -hmm. side of uh, Vietnam. And there were over 3 million tons of explosive used on the Ho Chi Minh Trail alone. And that was more than they'd used in World War II. Yeah, and that was just for that trail. Just they for the trail. They used a lot more Every, overall. In, yeah, across but Vietnam. This was, uh, I think, the heaviest bombing anyone had ever seen. And, mm -hmm. and also the napalm and the Agent Orange. I don't know if well, they're considered part of the millions, you know, when they talk about the millions of tons dropped. I don't know if well, they Well, they talk about that. explosives specifically. Yeah, so, so I wonder. it may not include napalm. It may. I don't I don't officially know, but mm -hmm. it it was a lot. It was that was their primary attack mode against the supplies. And the Vietnamese would get these trails kind of blown up and wiped out and they had these crews that would go oh. get them fixed up like almost oh, yeah. immediately. And and same with any kind of territory that was taken. As soon as a territory was taken over and the major part of the takeover was moved on to another area, they would come in and just take back the area. They couldn't get any land and keep any land like they always had been able yeah. to in every other war. They couldn't fight it the way that they had fought every other war in the history of Yeah, because traditionally you kind of have these targets and they're generally you know cities, forts, whatever, these strategic mm -hmm. locations and you go after them. Well, you couldn't do that with, against the uh, Vietnamese because the Viet there was Cong no leadership. guerrilla warfare. And so they'd go <laughs> you know, pick a spot and, mm -hmm. okay, we're camping here, essentially. The U.S. would go attack these spots, which were sometimes fortified. They'd take you know some heavy casualties. They'd take the land, and then they'd be like, okay, now what do we do with it? Yeah. And they, there's no point for the U.S. to stay there because they don't, they're not getting supplies in there. This isn't a major... Uh, trying to think of the word strategic location yeah there's no reason for them to leave so a lot of times they had they would just no leave. ties to the area yeah it wasn't like they had like their big buildings they were happy to move and build a hut somewhere else they didn't care and it was also really interesting because at this time this is the first war that has a television presence yeah and that was an incredibly difficult thing for the people back in the United States to see what was happening because war is ugly and war is messy. And now for the very first time, America is seeing it at home. Yeah, there was a statistic. I think it was like 1959% of U.S. households own televisions. And by like 1965, I think it was 93%. So 93% of people have televisions. And the other thing that kind of happens because of that is that the news changes you know news when people when the you know news organizations would go in in world war ii they'd talk to the government and, be, and the government would be like okay we want you to go here and we want you to film like this and we want mm -hmm. and it would be more propaganda right. than news and now these news agencies are kind of doing their own thing and they they're out there getting frontline you know information you know, not necessarily some of the worst, you know, things, but they're getting real data, not propaganda, and then they're able to broadcast it 
to everybody. Mm-hmm. So that was a big change, and it was actually one of the things LBJ decided not to run again. Yeah, he's, he said he was going to focus on the war. And <laughs> and one of the reasons, you know, one of the quotes he gave was along the line, you know, like, this is a televised war. Like, if, if previous, you know, wartime presidents had to deal with this, you know, they'd be kind of in the, the same boat. Like, war is not a good, you know, television, you know. I do kind of wonder. So I don't know the official rules on this, but I know that he became president after JFK was assassinated. Yeah. Does that not count as a term? No, it doesn't count. Like, you're basically allowed to be elected twice. So he could have okay. gone and ran and done again another and one. chose not to. Because so I thought, you've one, already had your turn. Why is this a yeah, big deal? The first one doesn't count. You know, it's that half a term. But <laughs> I think they only count it as far as being elected. But he chose not to run. Right. And also in 1965, this is just a bit of side information because you have Vietnam coming down the side of the peninsula and then you have Laos and Cambodia next to them. But right in from Laos and Cambodia to the west is Thailand. And Thailand starts having a communist guerrilla war and the USSR goes into Thailand and starts helping them. I had no idea. There were so many conflicts because of communism. Because yeah. which, which goes back to a point that I think we skipped over as far as one of the justifications. People would always talk about, you know, what are your justifications for being in Vietnam? One of the things that Eisenhower said, and keep in mind Eisenhower, this was back in the 50s. Uh-huh. So Eisenhower said, you got to look at it like it's a domino effect. Yes. The reason that we care so much about Vietnam isn't just because Vietnam. It's because if Vietnam falls to the communists, then Laos is going to fall. Cambodia is going to fall. Which you they know. did. Thailand's going to fall. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the domino theory is that if you lose one, then the next one is coming. So like it's not just going to be one. Before LBJ is out of office, there are some documents that say what is the reason that we are staying in Vietnam because we're starting to see at this point that we don't know how to win in this area. And it says at the top, 60% of the reason we are staying in Vietnam is so that for public, like to appease the public so we don't look like fools. Yeah. And that's really hard to... Yeah, the justification <laughs> yes. for, for killing people is yes. that we don't want to look bad. Because at this point, I mean, we're talking 1965. I mean, we're starting to lose thousands of people. 1966, that's 6,350 people die. 1967, and these are just American numbers, Yeah, 11,363 people. 1968, 16,899. And so it's really hard to think that we're only staying in because we don't want to be embarrassed and yet it became a super embarrassing decision yeah so i i wanted to talk more about that because it the the pentagon papers yeah so the pentagon papers and what happened there is uh, i think it was kind of commissioned by robert mcnamara who was kind of the head of the defense secretary of defense so he you know, has this report commissioned to find out what's going on in Vietnam. Because mm-hmm. it's not going. This was one of those things, they honestly thought that when they, in 
65 when they went in with Operation Rolling Thunder that they were going to basically bomb the North into submission. Yes. And that they would negotiate for tr- uh, peace mm-hmm. almost immediately. That was what they thought. Like, the initial yes. troops that showed up were only there to guard airfields. Well, what's, they have just come from World War Two. They've just shown that they have that, these gigantic bombs yeah. that they're willing to drop. Then they drop the napalm. Then they drop these other, like, Agent Orange and other other weapons. But these people are not educated. The citizens don't really know. They don't have a million TVs. Yeah. They don't have access to this. They're just fighting for their land and for their beliefs. They're not doing it for, the, like, they don't have the same fear set in that other places probably had. And, uh, and this is all speculation, but my guess, too, is that part of the communist propaganda that goes out is, you know, if you submit, you know, you're, you're, you're dead. Like, you have yeah. to keep fighting. Mm-hmm. And, and really, it's kind of Ho Chi Minh, he's the one who is making the decisions. He's the head of the party, mm-hmm. and he isn't going to give up for anything. Yeah. So the, the bombing campaigns, they don't seem to, to do anything. I mean, they, they have tragic effects. Like, there's a lot of effects of the bombing campaigns. It's just peace isn't one of the effects. Yeah. So they commissioned this Pentagon Papers to find out what's happening because things aren't going the way they expected. And they, uh, they they go in and have like thousands and thousands of pages of reports on what's going on in the war, why things are happening, what, you know, what are the casualty rates, what are the whatever. And that information ends up going to a place called the Rand Corporation, where one of the people working there who works on essentially U.S. nuclear war strategies, his name was Daniel Ellsberg, he gets the these Pentagon papers as part of his job and decides people need to know. Yeah. And so he goes, he talks to some journalists initially, and some of the information gets out, and then he goes and starts talking to congressmen. And he takes these Pentagon papers, because... The Congress doesn't know mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff. They were really quite secretive. So these Pentagon papers end up getting released, a lot of it in the press. There was one congressman from Alaska who essentially brought 4,000 paper pages of the Pentagon papers under one of his... He was in some ridiculous uh, department, but it's one of his... Um, duties, he brought these papers up where they're now official record. You know, you can't hide it anymore because this is now in Congress. And so that was kind of the thing. That's one of the reasons he did it in Congress, because he was afraid. He said, look, if if you do this in Congress, they can't arrest you. Like, it's against the law for them to arrest you when you're doing this. So they, the information kind of gets out. And, And it's really weird, because I actually thought that I started the Pentagon Papers were kind of the, the black hole that I went into and got lost uh-huh. in. And I, and I honestly thought it was going to be worse than than it was. It, it does kind of say... Well, that's because you already know. That's because you already know. Uh-huh. And so the stuff that you know is all that there is. Like, you think, oh, there's got to be more. Well, all the good stuff's already out there, yeah. which is the Gulf of Tonkin being potentially you know fraudulent. Uh, they talk about some of the other... Uh, campaigns and why uh, why the, 
the ground troops aren't doing as well. And what's interesting is the ground troops actually started off in doing really well. In mm-hmm. like 1966, they were dominating. And and initially, a lot even the Viet Cong, when the U.S. was fighting them, they were wearing you know uniforms and fighting, and they, it really just broke into full guerrilla yeah, where tactics you after tell who was what. That. Yeah, they 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 had recruited villagers, so yeah. even and the they children look, they look just like villagers. Like oh, you yeah. cannot distinguish. You can't them. tell the difference, which is one of the reasons a lot of horrible things happen, which we might and might not discuss, but. The children, they gave them little kid uniforms, some of them. And and they're, the kids are armed. And yeah. they have, like, uh, hand grenades on the sides of their clothes. Like, they, you couldn't tell who was and who wasn't because they had no uniform. And they had everybody interspersed everywhere, and nobody could tell. Yeah, it, and it, it may have been related to some of, the massacres or the kind of the bad behavior oh on gosh. the U.S. side it, it, because they don't know who they're fighting. To them, they're fighting all the Vietnamese because these are South Vietnamese people who are fighting them. So they're allies with the South, mm-hmm. with South Vietnam, and they're fighting with the South Vietnam Army. But when they get out in the villages, they can't tell who's friend or foe. And you also don't know if the people who are reporting the atrocities know if the people were fighting them. Like, yeah. you Nobody knew, because like you said earlier, a lot of people had been sent back and said, oh, you need to work as an undercover person. But, so we didn't know. I mean, there was so much confusion and so much desperation and so much exhaustion. It was just a an ugly war. All war is ugly, but it was an ugly war. Yeah, so there was a lot of guerrilla war fighting. And there, a couple, one of the big things that I wanted to bring up the, the Tet Offensive. Yeah, 1968 yeah, is January. So so Tet is the the name of like, like the a holiday. The Vietnamese Lunar New Year. So North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong chose this time because at the time South Vietnamese individuals had been allowed a lot of them to go home for the holiday. So they have an attack on 36 of 44 provincial capitals, so like like a state capital, with 8,000 communist Viet Cong. So they just go and attack so all of these cities. 85,000 is 80, what I had. 85,000? 85,000. 85, oh so, my gosh, I thought so it was, was eight. <laughs> this was a very large dispersed attack. Now I have to attack. look it up. So, yeah, my notes here, I've got that the North had 85,000 troops where they were carrying out attacks in all these cities. And it wasn't all, you know, it's called the Tet Offensive, but a lot of it lasted for months. Right. And so, they, but one of the big things it is, is 85,000. They, they got into Saigon, which was the capital of the South. So they're in Saigon. They've got people who essentially penetrate into the U.S. Embassy, into the Presidential yep. Palace. And it looks really bad for the U.S. And mm-hmm. the the news cycles that are going on in the U.S., this is one of those things that kind of turns this some This is people. where Johnson says he's not going to seek re-election. Yeah. It was after the Tet Offensive. So the, the, and the weird thing is that technically, like, like the U.S. forces ended up winning 
the ta offense, you know, they took all the territory back. They did whatever, and, and it took months in some cases, but they they won. They yep. dominated, you know, as far as casualties. The North took way more casualties than the U.S. and the South did. Mm -hmm. the, the U.S. and the South took all the territory, you know, that the North had taken. They took it all back. Mm -hmm. And so technically they won, but this is looked at as the the swing point in the war is after this mm -hmm. things don't seem to go well for the u.s so this well, is in this 68 is, this is also kind of the point where we were talking earlier where the u.s troops just start kind of mowing everybody down yeah this is kind of when that happens because they attacked in every city they don't know there's nothing organized they're just defending themselves and they start there's one really negative incident that happened on march 16th where the U.S. soldiers killed hundreds of Vietnamese civilians in the town of Melee, and they were fighting in, inside the city, which is a new thing for the U.S. troops, and the U.S. troops know how to fight inside a city. They also don't know who's the bad guy, and it turned into a really yucky massacre. Yeah. So you'll hear about Melee sometimes. People yeah, will I pronounce it Melee. I don't know how to pronounce it right. But... Oh, uh-huh. Uh, so, but realistically, like when you say city, this is a small town for mm -hmm. anything, you know, anybody but they had modern buildings. would know. Like, this is like, pretty small, but it, like it, it's a full-on massacre. It was. So they, what they first did was they grabbed, you know, 60, 70 people, lined them up, and just shot them. And these are just Whoa. civilians. These are not, you know, like, like this isn't just men, you know, they're, mm. with, they're taking... Older kids, women, they're women. taking kids, mm -hmm. they're t and they shoot all these people, and then they just start, you know, anything that moves essentially becomes a target. And this company, you know, the almost the entire company participated. You don't really know. Because no. one of the things, one of the guys in the company shot himself in the foot so that he wouldn't have to participate. Oh, wow. And, and you don't know who all participated. There was ultimately one guy was, was tried but the only reason any of that happened was because these helicopter pilots who showed up were like, what the heck happened here? They see all these dead, you know, women and children, and they're wondering what happened. And they start talking to some of the, you know, soldiers that are on the ground. And, you know, one of the helicopter pilots is, oh, we got to go help these, you know, women over here. And the guy says, yeah, I can help them out of their misery. And the helicopter pilot starts understanding what's going on now. And one of the helicopter pilots, like, helped save a few people, and... I'd like to, like, understand. I'd like to, like, cheer for the United States and, you know, try and understand how these kind of things can happen, but this sounds horrible. Like... Yeah. And I don't know how you defend something like you, this. You don't... And what I always think is it's hard to put yourself in their shoes, because you can't. Like, yeah. what they... The, the same company that... Uh, that did this massacre, they'd been in this area for a month, I think, and they had lost 30 people to booby traps and mines and whatever else. They'd, they'd had 30 people killed and I don't know how many injured. And they'd been fighting pretty much since January and consistently. So to them, everybody's, you know, that, like there are, the, the women and children are part of it to them. And initially... Even, you know, when, when they get done, nobody knows of this. It takes like a year for the this to really get out. The helicopter pilots start bringing it up the chain of command. And 
still nothing kind of happens until I think one guy, one of the helicopter pilots, I think it was a helicopter pilot, like wrote to like a bunch of congressmen and was like, something happened. Like you guys need to look into this. And so there was an investigation. They had like this lieutenant colonel sort of guy go in and look at it. And he recommended like 34 court martials. And the 34, you know, court martials weren't soldiers necessarily. They were the people who hid. You know, they were the people who knew that this uh-huh. happened and didn't do anything. So, it, and it was, that's the stuff that makes me feel better is I know that there are good people that care. And and some of the soldiers, like you listen to what these helicopter pilots were saying, they seem like good people. The people who did this, not. And, and there were other accounts point. of people talking Lots about the people of who other did accounts. this saying. And, and it wasn't even just the U.S. Like, if you go... You can look up massacres in Vietnam. Uh-huh. North Vietnam, they had one around the same time called, I think it was the, the Hue Massacre, and they actually killed like 3,000 people. So I'm going to interrupt and okay. go off timeline and talk about, I kind of wonder in this area, like what typical behavior was yeah. back then, because Cambodia, and because when I went down that rabbit hole of, Cambodian Laos, because they became officially communist at in 1975. So yeah. after all this is ending, they they their governments were defeated. They became communist. But there was the government in Cambodia that took over. They killed 25% of Cambodians yep. to create the perfect classless agrarian society. They just killed 25% of their yeah. entire population. And I think they're considered one of the most brutal regimes. Yeah, they're ever. called the Khmer Rouge. And so they took control of Cambodia in 1975. So we're skipping off, off timeline here. And so just as the full background, and then um, they just come out of fighting the Second Indochina War in the late 1960s. They've been fighting against the government the whole time, and then they created the state of Kampuchea in 1976, and they ruled until 1979. So they killed 25% of the population in four years, in less than four years. And I just kind of wonder if, you know, bloody massacres are kind of what they did over there. I'd have it, to look more into it. It kind of seems like it. that, because even going back, you know, the, the and they're not the only people who did this. You know, this happened lots of places. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about Cuba. They would, you know, and it happened in Russia. They would, you know, execute or exile people who weren't part of their team. You know, who didn't it's true. Do the and same we just ideology. came out of World War Two, which is a big example. And, but they they were doing that in the the north for you know years, and the even you know South Vietnam was also doing that. Like they they would. So my assumption is. This was not the the same, you know. They wouldn't have the same reactions to it that that we have yeah. because we never. To us, it's really foreign. Yeah. And it seems like it was somewhat common back in that era. And I always wonder if there's something to, you know, you, you have, you know, Ho Chi Minh comes in and and start, you know, you got to fight, you got to do whatever, and he says, you know, for 20 years people are hearing that, and I yeah. always wonder if that has an effect, you know, if that changes Well, it's an behaviors. entire generation. Yeah. An entire generation 
has grown up with this being life and yep. the value of life. I wonder if it didn't really have much. So, I mean, they got the, you know, World War Two, and then the first Indochina War and all these people growing up, this is kind of what they know. Yeah. So it's really hard to judge, but the, the one thing is you expect judge. the it's U.S. To, to be better. Yeah, it's yeah. easy to judge. You do. But you don't know what these people had to live through, what they go through. For the U.S., you expect better. Yeah. I mean, you expect better of everyone, but the U.S., you kind of feel that was an atrocity that yeah. we did. You know, And when I say we, I just mean the U.S. The U.S. When, when I look at it, when I step back, I kind of think of, you know, when Britain was trying to keep the Americas as colonies and how they came in and had a certain way that they fought. And America did not fight that way. Yeah. And, and how that was so devastating for Britain. And yet I hear this exact same thing has happened with the United States. Is they're like, no, we're a superpower. We're, we're good at this. What? Like, yeah, it was unsuccessful. But I'm going to pull it back to 1968 because I want to touch on a few things. Okay. So... In 1968, we get an entire new commander for the U.S. forces in Vietnam. Um, it's General Creighton Abrams, and he has replaced William Westmoreland. Nixon is elected president in November, but I got to rewind because MLK was assassinated. Martin Luther King was assassinated in April of 1968. So you have America, who's had their previous president before LBJ assassinated, then Martin Luther King's assassinated, and then Robert Kennedy decides he's going to run for president against Nixon, and he's assassinated. And then Nixon becomes president, and a fascinating thing. So I have not looked up much information on the Nixon, what do you call it, when he bugs the, oh, the hotel. The uh, Whitewater. I, the Whitewater Hotel. So I know what happened, and I kind of think, oh, that was bad, and oh, he should have been um, impeached. I'm okay that he was impeached, right? But I think, but why is he such a villain? Like, why does everybody think he's just, like, the villain president? And then I find out that while he is running for president, there was a peace talk that was supposed to happen in Vietnam between the North and the South. And they have it all together, and at the last minute, South Vietnam pulls out. And it's because Nixon, who is running for office, tells South Vietnam, no, 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 don't go to these peace talks. I'll become president. You put your backing behind me, and I will make sure... We slaughter the North and then get out of there. So I don't have it down as slaughter the North, but basically Nixon kind of runs on this, I'm going to end the war. He ran in the United States as I'm going to pull out. He, he asked South uh, Vietnam. Vietnam to, to support him. But, <laughs> yeah. but his strategy when he got in, he wanted to negotiate peace, but the way that he did that was once he gets in, he goes at, with another major offensive. So his strategy, he had a like kind of right. three-part strategy. But it is actually a treason. It's treason to be a candidate for president and interfere in and foreign affairs. So he had committed treason before he ever became the president. 
and I, and I didn't have that. I had yeah. something, and I don't uh, have it here in front of my you know notes. But he had a another thing where he went after the da- Daniel Ellsberg when when oh, Daniel yeah? Ellsberg did the release of the Pentagon Papers. Uh-huh. Nixon said, you know, let's find some dirt on this guy. And they broke into Daniel Ellsberg was seeing like a psychiatrist. They broke into oh, no. the psychiatrist's office <gasps> and started, you know, in a museum. There's the uh, filing cabinet that they broke into, and you can see how the it's all damaged from them prying into Pry it bar. Or whatever. But they were just trying to find anything to find dirt on this guy so that they could discredit him. And they even had a plan that they never uh, did. You know, they were going to dose him on LSD before this big conference. Good grief. Good grief. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't understand any of this. I, I mean, I can imagine thinking about it. Like, wouldn't it be cool if we, I can't imagine following through. I just don't understand people. And I think this is their argument is, of course you don't understand. But the people who are in charge do understand. And if we're not doing it, you know, the commies are doing it, so they're going to beat us if we don't play as dirty. And I think that's the mindset is, uh, yeah, it's easy for the peons who don't, you know, who aren't in charge to say, oh, that's bad behavior. But <laughs> this bad behavior, whoever's in charge is going to do it, might as well be us, I think, is their mindset. And, and I really do think that that is the mindset of people like Nixon. Well, he was elected. He was elected. And then he approved Operation Breakfast, which I think you were talking about before, where he had the three He had kind of offenses. a three-idea or pronged attack to end pronged the war. Attack is good, and, yes. and one of the prongs was to just offer the North better um, a, a better peace treaty. Like, we'll give you a good deal if you'll sign this peace treaty. But the other part, like he would, um, he increased bombings. and On the supply routes. Yep. And the base camps. And this bombing continued for 14 months without the knowledge of Congress or the American public. And, and what's interesting, too, is that they almost had an agreement in 72. And I, I think Kissinger? the South pulled out of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Kissinger was the one who negotiated. He was the Secretary of State. He negotiated this peace, and the South pulled out of it thinking, that they weren't getting a good enough deal mm-hmm. uh, because part of the thing was to offer the North a good deal. This is but the, the end, North though. Is there out. anything else you want to talk before the end? Uh, there were the a few end. things. Like, I've got some notes, but most of the stuff are things like the Easter Offensive, which was just part of their, you know, push uh, from the North. The right, North but don't forget, before this, in 1969, Ho Chi Minh dies. And after Ho Chi Minh dies, they lose a lot of communist traction. And on November 13th of 1969, that's when America learned about the Malay Massacre and a lot of politically charged things over here. So now Nixon wants to get out of this war. Because to him, I imagine, he thinks, okay, the Communist Party doesn't have Ho Chi Minh, they're going to start to crumble. And everybody in America hates this. There were protests going on like crazy across college campuses, across everywhere in front of government buildings. Um, And this is when the Cambodian government wanted more help from the United States because they were not winning their communist revolution in their war. 
in their country, Laos either. And um, so there was several protests, including one at Kent State where the National Guardsmen opened fire on student protesters. They killed four students and wounded eight. And that's because a lot of the protesters had been hurling rocks and empty tear gas canisters. And I laughed because it reminded me of the revolution. Yeah. <laughs> what the, was that The Boston called? Massacre. The, was, yeah, the Boston so, Massacre. Yeah, you got I, the I just, like, civilians clicked. throwing the rocks yeah. at the British troops. And, and then the troops, like, boom, boom, boom. Like, you know, so students many connections. Throwing rocks at the National Guard. Because uh-huh. they're protesting... They're protesting in 1970 because the U.S. is expanding the war into Cambodia. Yes, and so, but they didn't know it was with permission, or they didn't care it was with permission, yeah. but they'd also just heard about the Malay Massacre. And, so and this they, is gross to them. Protests had been happening for years, but yep. in like 69, 70 is kind of the peak. And, and oh, not only just we protests, forgot but, to talk about the draft. Oh. This is a huge The reason. draft is a big deal because... Yes. So... so U.S. Ha- has a policy of, you know, we can have a draft if we need to draft people. Mm-hmm. And in 1962, JFK reinstates Inst- the draft. And and they're not drafting Wait, too many. 1962? Yeah, so even before the war, JFK starts the, the draft. Oh, I think it actually started in the 50s. Like, it was a long time that they had it available after... World War Two ended. They started it up, but they didn't do much with it. Yeah, and I thought that they they didn't really they weren't really drafting people until '62. And JFK had a policy where if you were married with kids, you don't get drafted. Oh, and if, fascinating and if you were story. Married, that then later. you were also like lower on the list. So the draft started officially on December first of 1969, and it went until 1973, and they drafted two point. Two million people out of the 27 million eligible men. And if you were born between January 1st of 1944 and December 31st of 1950, you could be drafted. So what they did is you were given a number that corresponded with your birthday, and the lower numbers were drafted first. And so, here is my interesting story. So, every single son of my grandmother on my father's side was drafted into the war. Their numbers were all pulled up. There were four sons, but only two made it into the war because one was married and they were given a preference to stay home. And the other one was my dad. And he had an injury from his childhood to his trigger finger. And yeah. so he didn't go. He failed the physical because, because he had an injury. There, there's even more to the story. Is one, I, my understanding is that they thought this is a rigged game, like this is not an honest draft. You don't, well, because all four of yeah. their family got caught, drafted. You know, this is supposed to be. I, I don't remember what the odds are, but the you know, when all four, and so my grandpa, grandpa wrote a letter to LBJ saying a nasty little yeah, letter. The world would be a better place if you would go out and hang yourself in front of the White oh, House. No. And, and I love that story. <laughs> <laughs> well, on my mom, on mom's side, they had she has two brothers, and they were never called up, ever. She said they had really high numbers, and the lower numbers were drafted first, so they were never drafted. But I do think of this as a mom of boys, 
some voice. I think, oh my gosh, like this is terrifying to me. But it is kind of interesting because my husband's dad was also drafted. And he failed the physical because he'd broken his neck in, in his teen years. So he failed the physical too. But it was just, it's just kind of fascinating. Ooh. Yeah. And, and it really affected people, which is one of the reasons why, I mean, because by this time, everybody probably knew somebody in Vietnam anyway. Now they're drafting up their families and nobody agrees with this war in the first place. And then finding out that the reason we're still in this war is because of a, you know, public image and people were really angry. So I almost said Hitler. <laughs> Nixon sends Henry Kissinger to go talk to everybody. And Henry Kissinger is a pretty divisive historical figure because a lot of people think of him as like a warmonger and reading. There's other people who just think he's like one of the best statesmen ever. They look at him as kind of a realist. It's like he's not a patriot who's a U.S. first. He goes into these other countries. You know, what, is, what will it take to get peace? Like yeah. what do we have to have? And then he just works on getting peace. And I actually think, you know, for, for that he does a pretty good job. But when you're talking about, you know, how nasty war is and stuff like that, anybody who's promoting war, and keep in mind, the war was happening with or without the U.S. The U.S. Yes. kind of made an excuse to get in on the South, but the South had already been fighting the North for several years yes. before the U.S. joined. 20, about 20 years. And so this isn't, or just fighting. you know, like a U.S.-started war, but the U.S. joined the war under some pretty suspicious, you know, premises. Yes. <laughs> but... You know, Kissinger does, I think, a pretty good job of trying to negotiate peace. But the way that the war kind of comes about is they're going to negotiate peace and they uh, back out, you know, they like, okay, well, this isn't good. And so then uh, the North starts counteroffensive because their strategy really is we just have to outlast. You know? Well, Nixon had ordered those Christmas bombings. Yeah. Yeah. And so he had, had like attacked what they call the North Vietnamese heartland with B-52 bombings in December, and so... And that was part of his strategy to get yeah. peace, and then they bring people to the peace table, and they back out, and he does another one, and he goes, all right, and I'll, I'll put mines in all your harbors. How do you like that? Oh, no. So it, it was called, like, Operation Linebacker, and that was I after, that supposedly, they had already negotiated peace, and somebody backed out, and so then he went, okay, then we're doing this. You know, we're going to go put mines in all your harbors, and we're going to start bombing you again. And so they brought him back to the table, and they were actually able to uh, negotiate peace in, I think the peace was negotiated in 72, but in January of 17, or 1973, the peace well, accords happened. It's because Nixon wants out. And so he had, he, in, in November 14th of 1972, Nixon wrote to the leadership of South Vietnam. I believe, and kind of... Well, he threatened to leave. Oh, he... He said, we're not going to give you support. If you don't come to the yep, peace table... if you don't do this... We're leaving. We're leaving. And so, technically, the war ended peacefully, according to the pieces of paper. Yeah. Because Nixon threatened him so hardcore. And then they leave, and they left on April 30th, 1975. 
the last tank rolled through the gate of the presidential palace in Saigon. And, and they'd been, so technically, like since Nixon took over, they'd actually, troop they'd deployment started, had been going down. Yeah. He'd been pulling troops out since essentially 1970. And, you know, once that peace happened, it really was, you know, people are, are doing their best to, uh, you know, uh-huh. ramp it down. Which is, but it took, a, it took a long time. It took a long time. It took, so the last, the last of it was out in 1975, but the last troops were out in 1973. They pulled them all out in 1973. However, they left a bunch of their equipment. And the thing that made this interesting, when you research it, is they say, yeah, you left tanks, but you didn't leave any tank drivers. Yeah, you left, you left airplanes, but you didn't leave any pilots. Yeah, you left guns, but you didn't leave any ammunition. So the South was essentially abandoned, which is another kind of embarrassment for the United States with this war. And so the fall of Saigon happened in 1975, and they'd had 30 years of war and 2 million Vietnam citizen deaths, and they took the Soviet Union's help to become a country. So the people then starved, and a hundred I'm sorry, 1.5, not 100 million, 1.5 million Vietnamese left Vietnam and 400,000 came to America. Yeah, and the, uh, you know, you can kind of tell how things went in 75 when Saigon fell, it became Ho Chi Minh City. But I have another fascinating fact. Because this is Cold War, I had assumed the Soviet Union was super involved, right? Yeah. Well, so there's a list of people who fought on both sides, right? And this is just on Wikipedia. So this isn't like some serious research that I've done. And the United States had 2.7 million soldiers who fought over the time frame, which is higher than South Vietnam's 2.3 million. But that's a ton of, well, ton of people. Well, keep in mind, the population-wise, that's a ton for South Vietnam. It is a ton for South Vietnam. But combined total, that's a ton of people, over, of people over the years. And so the, I called it the democracy side of things. They had almost 6 million people who fought, including all of the other countries. Well, the opposition only had 1.3 million. And it included 3,000 Soviet Union soldiers. And I was like, what? Because I had thought the Soviet Union played a larger part in this. They didn't really play as much a part until it came to the end, and then the communists were in, and then they started giving them tons of aid. So there were also 200 soldiers from North Korea and 12 from Albania on the communist side. I was like, huh, that's really interesting. But most of the people who fought for them were from Vietnam. There were the North, the South, and then China, and then Cambodia and Laos were most of the people who fought. Yeah, and Against. they were supplied a lot from China, but a lot of those Chinese supplies were actually American supplies from World from War II. before. <laughs> yeah, it, I don't know. It was an interesting one because it's so it's such a polarizing war. Because yeah. number one, it's the first time, it, and technically, you know, the U.S. didn't really lose, but but the U.S. Yeah. kind of lost. You know, like we didn't. There was no benefit that yeah, came from it. The, whatever objectives we had mm-hmm. ended up failing. Although some people, there's a kind of a joke that the U.S. won because now Vietnam is a capitalist country. 
wasn't right after it. And, and it, it definitely it fell, fell to communism. And then so that, did Laos. Know, that, so did that domino theory Cambodia. actually seemed to be true. Is yes. uh, like a lot of other countries kind of fell around that. Same I didn't time. even look up Thailand to see if it also fell in the entire Saigon. <laughs> yeah, one of the other things when I was looking into the Pentagon Papers that I really so it had some really fascinating facts about, you know, like, here's the timeline. So it was done in, like, 68 or something like that. And so they're only talking about the period of war from, like, 65 to 68. I think it might have mm. even been just 67. And they go through and they've got kind of a timeline of when all these events were happening and they show statistics of how the U.S. Army is performing, you know, like, as far as how many kills versus deaths, how many kills versus yes. people deployed. How and they many... were saying that those numbers might have even been falsified. And, and the numbers, like, the the U.S., it, by those numbers, was far outperforming the North. But yeah. it was one of those situations where you, there's no way to win. You know, it's kind of... Well, you're not really fighting anybody. Yeah, you're, you're, you're fighting... fighting people, but you can't just take a territory. Yeah. Like, you can't just go take Berlin and be like, we won. Yeah. There's no way to do that because there is no central. And the same thing happened in the U.S. when they were fighting England, I think, in like 1812 or something, is England had no way to win because there's, they could take a capital and we're like, that's eh, not our capital anymore. Yeah, well. Go ahead. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? Like, you're just going to be here forever because we're not giving up. And so then they. Yeah. You, you know, would have, have had to, to have killed every single communist person in order to consider it a win because they kept coming. Yeah. And it was, I mean, their numbers of dead were huge. Yep. Two million is huge. So they kept dying and they kept coming and what do you I this is a horrible like analogy, but like ants, like you can you can get a bit, but then then they just keep coming and and you can't you can't win an idea. Yeah. It it and the the weird the reason that I kinda like this topic is I wanted to find that, you know, what was the justification? Because this one seemed, in other cases, the U.S. does kind of seem like, hey, we're the good guys, and this one kind of felt like like maybe we weren't the good guys this time. Yeah. And I don't know what the truth is, because that domino theory thing kind of seemed to be true. And a lot of these regimes, like the Khmer Rouge, that, that was a brutal regime. If you could have prevented that, that would be huge. Well, and, and it didn't happen. Yeah. And so it's really hard for me to say, you know, were, were we just kind of terrible people going there, or was the fight, you know, if we would have won, would it, you know, we could have saved millions of Cambodian lives in theory. We could have saved... We did win. Just kidding. And well, there it's was, true. Because if we had, if, if democracy had won in yeah. the area, Cambodia probably wouldn't have fallen and killed a quarter of their population. Yep. So you're right. It It is kind of interesting to think about, but if you think about what the world was like at that point, and I'm saying that from someone who wasn't there, yeah. you know, you've got um, Russia and the Soviet Union being crazy on this other side, threatening things, you know, because don't forget, during this war, during or right before, you have, during, you have, you know, the... Atomic. The Cuban Missile Crisis. Ah, Cuban Missile Crisis. <laughs> But, um, and so you have high tensions. And what I think about when I think of this is I think, you know, during the 80s, of which I was alive during, I remember the whisperings of communist pe 
people. Like how there was that time when you're like, are you a communist? Oh, no, this is a communist. And we tend to associate it a lot with Russia and how they had their spies and, and, and communists who were raising up with their ideas. But I could see um, the United States saying, if we can take back these people from communism, that would show the Soviet Union. And so I could see them thinking, this will be easy. You know? I, I honestly <laughs> think well, that's exactly easy. what they thought. Uh-huh. This will be easy. This will be we'll easy. Go in. We'll... Because a loss would be a gigantic blow against the Cold War people we're up against with the Soviet Union. Like, Yeah. So it... it... It really is kind of crazy to think about that you would be willing to have a war over something like that, but but that's kind of what what it seemed like happened. But the other thing I thought weird with the Pentagon Papers is they have they have a, like a hundred page document of quotes from LBJ on why he thought the Vietnam War, you know, why we should be in Vietnam. They had a hundred, you know pages on why JFK said they had why Eisenhower and I thought you know, why is this important you know this was important for somebody and it really kind of seemed like a cover your butt like we have to explain why we're there and it really did seem like we had to make we had to come up with a good reason why we were there maybe because the real reason wasn't that great yeah did you have anything else uh, no you to- oh Nope. There were a couple things I know I didn't touch that I thought were interesting, but I can't remember them. Yeah, there were there's a few things that get skipped and yeah. and, and that just that just happens, but uh, I think that covers it and that'll do it for today. Thanks yep. everyone. Bye.